Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I am your host, Hillary Jones. So, no major updates from me this week, other than the fact that, partly based on this conversation with LG today, I signed up for some group lessons with Sarah Lando, you might remember from the Julie Ruin and from our previous interview on Midriff. Go back and listen to that, obviously. Uh, I tried to learn theory, I've tried like a million times, but it just never sticks. I think that the main issue is that I never really learned the fretboard so I had nothing to really apply it to. I'm like, cool, I learned a scale or like circle of fifths or whatever. I'm like, ah, this means nothing because I have literally no idea what notes I'm playing at any moment. Anyway, so I've been working on that mostly on an app called Fretboard Learn, uh, that piece of it at least, which is a weird name, but I guess that's what they're doing. And so here we go. Anyway, definitely working on that. Psyched for these lessons. And it's fun to have a focus and to have like a group lesson. I haven't had group lessons in a million years. So that's really fun. And it's it's good to be able to do that rather than just like sitting in my basement playing the same things over and over again, having like a real solid focus. So that's nice. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to spend too much time today on me because I want to get right into our interview. But first, I do want to thank some of Midriff's fabulous sponsors. So first, Earthquaker Devices. We have said a lot about Earthquaker here. And our guest, uh, LG, on her podcast has talked a lot about it, about them as well. And we'll discuss more about that in a moment. But I want to take a moment to thank them once again for always being super supportive of like shifting culture, making change in the industry in small ways, like connecting LG and I and supporting our podcasts and with like potentially bigger ideas, like the one Julie had about creating some sort of diversity certification or something like that for dealers. Uh, so folks know, you know, which companies to support, which is an idea we'll discuss in this episode today, but was Julie's idea, which could potentially become a reality. We'll see. Anyway, whether it's like cold blog posts, like the one by a former Midriff guest, Barb Morrison, or creating a rad usable pedal, Earthquaker just will steer you in the right direction. You know it's true. So as always, you can check out Earthquaker devices uh, and all of their rad pedals, handmade in Akron, Ohio, at earthquakerdevices.com. Up next, we have DistroKid. If you are a musician and you want to get your music out there to more people, don't we all, but you aren't sure how to do it, DistroKid can help you. DistroKid puts your music in an online store and online streaming services such as iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, many, many more. You get 100% of the income. It all goes to you. They don't take out any fees, and it allows you to do customized splits to different band members or musicians per song by this thing they have called Teams. And obviously that's something that would be useful. I can, I, I, I just can't believe that it didn't exist before, but it's so, so great. If you have more than one project, you can also sign up for that too. It's just a great, great option for everyone. They'll add your lyrics to services for you. And you can even do like a fancy global release where everything gets released at the exact same time around the globe. Uh, pretty cool. So you can use the link distrokid.com slash VIP slash midriff to get a 7% discount. And I'll include the link in the notes as well. Last but not least, I want to mention my buddies Adam and Jen up at Stompbox Sonic in Boston. Stompbox Sonic provides musicians with an extensive tonal palette for auditory exploration, specializing in effects pedals. They offer a curated collection of companies large and small, some locally crafted, some assembled from around the world. 
Adam and Jen have been helping musicians and sound-based artists find their sound since 2009. By working collaboratively through one-on-one consultations, they do more than sell you a pedal. They ignite the creative spark to bring your music to life. They create a comfortable, judgment-free environment for all musicians where sonic experimentation is encouraged. And yeah, they, they're just great. They're good people. They will help you find the pedal you need. It doesn't matter if you're in Boston. They'll do a virtual consultation with you. Um, and if you're interested in such a consultation or if you just want to check out their cool, unique selection, check them out on social media or at stopboxsonic.com. So these sponsors support the podcast, and I hope you support them too. You can find links in the show notes to these sponsors and to the Midriff Instagram and Facebook pages and website as well. So... As I had mentioned, today's guest is LG, who is the lead singer and guitarist and force behind Thelma and the Sleaze and the host of Queen of Shit Mountain podcast. She is a goddamn national treasure, and I'm so glad I got to have her on here and that Julie from Earthquaker connected us. So not only can you hear my interview with her here, but also her interview with me on two recent episodes of Queen of Shit Mountain. She also has another plan for collaboration up her sleeve, which I will share about very soon as well. Very excited about that. Anyway, LG is hilarious and is just a super shredder, singer, performer. And if you are in the Midwest, she will be coming to you soon, probably. So check out her tour dates as as she's getting back out on the road. Her podcast has just so many amazing musicians and the first season of the podcast, she goes into a ton of detail about what it takes to be a touring musician as well. So definitely check that out for tips and just amazing, hilarious conversations. All right. With that, here's my interview with LG. Thanks so much for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks of for course. to Julie Robbins for uh, suggesting that we do a, a switch cast. We should do call a that. swap. Swap cast. A switch cast. That's good. Swap cast. Either all support like either of those. Cast. It sounds kind of yeah. gross. It's kind of like swamp cast. I think it's like one step away. I feel like it sounds right. I feel good about it. So for folks who some reason might not know who you are, can you share your name, your pronouns, a little bit about yourself and your background with music? My name's LG. My pronouns are y'all and that bitch. And I am the lead singer and creative force behind the world's longest running all-female queer southern rock band of all time, Thumb and the Sleaze. And I also have a podcast called Queen of Shit Mountain. I play rock and roll since I fell in love with rock and roll. And it's ruined my life, but I still do it because... <laughs> I just, I can't get enough. 
Can't get enough of rock and roll. It just keeps bringing you back in, right? Yeah, yeah. I was a rhythm guitar player in my first band and not a singer. And then I saw Beth Ditto from the gossip and I was like, I want to sing. Oh my God. I think I could sing like that. It's like the way a white girl could sing uh, black people music without sounding obnoxious or mm-hmm. trifling. So I was mm-hmm. like, I want to do that. And um, I've definitely deterred from that, but that was what got me started was Beth Ditto. And yes. Yeah, so oh God. Yeah. She's was like, so I want to sing in a band that, so that's, that's the way I want to do it. So, and I was really into the blues of the time, which, you know, in hindsight, you know, led me here. So it's good. But nice. Yeah. Respectively into the blues. I was never like a yelling fanatical white girl about it. I, that disgusted me. <laughs> and I was never a dad blues person either. But there's yeah, it can go in a lot of wrong directions quickly if it's not done well. I mean, I just hate it. I hate it. I hate when we yeah. play the blues. So I try not yeah. to, I try to do it very sparingly and respectfully, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the things, because I feel like folks who know you as a musician, everybody, you're talking about your guitar playing, right? And so, and I think rightly so, you're a shredder. But I think one of the things that I was actually curious about was a bit about your your vocal experience. Can you talk a little bit about that, actually? I have none. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously you do now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for feeling that way. Yeah, I have none. And that's, you know, that's why if you like Thelma Sleeves, it's a journey. It's not like we ever had anyone develop us or anyone take us under our wing. Like we've always been fairly scrappy and running before we could walk and shit, you know, everyone. And I just, you know, I try, I try not to emulate or, and I try not to, you know, over, you know, do it technically. I just try to, whether I know what I'm doing or not, project that emotion that I'm trying to project in an energetic, like, Mm -hmm way that makes people get it you know and I mean it's a brain blaster to listen to the first Thelma and the Seas records now made 12 years ago and listen to mm-hmm. what we just put out and what we're just did in the studio it's totally different you know I could not sing when I first started Thelma and Seas I just reverted to sexy baby talk and that got me really <laughs> far I would just go you know Oh, yes. <laughs> People love that shit, you know. And it was easy, yes. too. Like, never troublesome to go on tour when every night you were just like, Oh, Maria, you know, like, stay <laughs> the night. Like, you don't really have to sing that hard. So it's great. Mm-hmm. You tour for seven weeks and not lose your voice. You know, yeah. and as we've gotten into our set and done more, you know, it's... I've, done more singing but it's taken me a long time to figure out my voice and and the guitar because I really had no idea how to do either I just was like but now Mm -hmm. I do that's what I did over quarantine was was work on my scholastic musical knowledge because I got tired of saying in interviews like I don't know anything about theory I don't care about theory and I was Uh like you know what bitch fix it just learn yeah and see what it does see what it how it reflects in your music so now it's like a cool new challenge to find that happy medium between making as much noise and angrier and violence as possible and chaos with your sound to knowing what the fuck you're doing. So now you have to kind of find the happy medium. So that's better. I like it. It's a new challenge. I, 
I have so many questions about this because I am in a similar spot where I've never really like I've been taught like I I did have lessons here and there when I was re- mm-hmm. really young, but it was more like going in and like learning a song and then they'll be like, here's what the theory was. And I'm like in one ear, out the ear, out the other kind mm-hmm. of thing. And literally I I'm similar, like just I could, I've never gotten theory. So what has been your process of like being like, here we are theory. It's you and me. Like how, how, how has that gone for you? Or like, what, how have you taught yourself or whatever you've been doing? Well, honestly, I used to collaborate with this dude named Brett Rosenberg a lot. He's in a band called Quiche Night. Do you know him? Mm. You heard of him? No, I don't. You were just nodding very enthusiastically. I was like, I'm I'm an act. I'm active listening, active listening over here. The the audience can't see my, my yes. Yes. Brett. No, I don't know. No, he's really good. Sorry. Sorry, Brett. He's he's like if Brian Wilson and Phil Spector play too much Super Nintendo and learn too many Guns N' Roses solos. He's like the bad guy, <laughs> you know, and he'll, I hope he, we're, I not, want we're not on good to know that now, guy. so, but I well. still do think of him fondly. And anyways, he's a very, I don't necessarily, he's not like too theory, like we could hang out and play together because he wasn't too theory about shit. But anyways, yeah. if you look behind yeah. me, the reason I mention him is he brought, he bought me this poster. <laughs> Ah, yes. And, and I was like, what do I need this poster for, Brett? It's cool. I thought he got it for me because it looked real 80s and it had a guitar on it. And then yeah. beginning quarantine, I was like working on learning the drums because I've always wanted to get better at drums. So I started out mm-hmm. kind of trying to, because I also have this really nice slingerling kit that I got. Yeah. And I also um, have a slingerling kit back here. Oh, my God. Yeah, they sound the best. And um, yeah. so I was like... Uh, really want to learn how to do some more drum shit, you know, and just mm-hmm. build that out. So I started doing that. And then I started needing to make money too. So people were like, can you give me lessons? And I didn't want to put mm-hmm. them on the back foot. You know what I mean? So I was like, mm-hmm. I'll just learn shit as I go. And then I saw this poster and I was like, oh shit, this poster has like all these scales on it that I don't know. And uh-huh. so I started learning all the different modes and then I was like, oh, that's cool. And then seeing how they were all really connected and seeing yeah. how my brain, which is not like, I don't think like a normal person like that learned stuff. Like I've always had a hard time retaining information, um, especially mm-hmm. information that isn't sexy. I'm really good at retaining sexy Fair. information. Like if you could just make modes sexy. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm gonna make a T-shirt that says I that. Making to come mode up sexy. With, I, in my head, I tried to come up with like quick ways to remember how things were connected in the cage system and everything like that. But like, mm-hmm, still, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I I don't know a shit ton about theory, but I learned my modes, I learned my chords, my scales, everything, how it's connected, how you can move things around, Lydian and mix awesome. Lydian and stuff yeah. like that. And then, and then just was working on the drums, and then also made a new album in quarantine and that was really cool because I wasn't under the gun. I wasn't in a studio. I wasn't at the, you know, um, mercy of other people's abilities or ideas. I just, mm-hmm. kind of, and I wanted to make something really, you know, cool and, and entertaining because it was a desperate time where I felt like people needed something cool and entertaining. And so I wrote yeah. all the bass lines on that record and started figuring out how the keys and the bass are similar in the guitar and how I could work those mm. things out and then when I would do something mm-hmm. wrong, but I liked it, I'd know why I liked it. And right. So that, and then also going back into my catalog and realizing, like, I was doing a lot of shit 
just by ear that I didn't know what it was. And like, that's, I I didn't know what arpeggio was or why I was doing these things. And now I know like, yeah, it's just (laughs) like, you know, just shit that I I just didn't want to have to say I didn't know anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed, how is it, do you think shifted like your songwriting process? Well, it's nice to know what chords exist in a scale. It takes the guesswork out of it. You know what I mean? If you know where your majors and your minors are inside a scale, Mm -hmm. it's nice. And you realize how simple songwriting can be (laughs) in a lot of ways. And you realize that you've been doing it the whole time and you didn't know. You know, your brain just kind of wants to hear those chords. So you make them happen. But uh, also, you know, it's a good thing to come. It's good for coming in handy for songwriting or for soloing. And I find that when you're doing those kind of rudimentary tasks, if you're like me and you have maybe undiagnosed attention deficit disorders of some sort, you end Mm -hmm. up writing shit just because you're like, oh, what is that? Oh, I like that. Oh, (laughs) but you know. Yeah, it's just fun. It's just a new journey inside the journey, a new little labyrinth inside a, you know, a lifelong journey. There's no destination to. So it's always nice when you find the the segues and the little different things that can keep, you know, because music is bound, boundless, you know. Mm-hmm. When when you were doing all the the practicing and the, the, the learning over quarantine was like, did you have a were you sitting down like pretty regularly for like, I'm going to sit down for this many numbers of hours or was it sort of organic in that way? No, I've always done that. I've always, that's yeah. all I do, especially since I have yeah. a real job in like six years. I spend yeah. most days and I'm probably people would be surprised to hear that because my music doesn't sound very professional or fancy, but I noodle. I used to just noodle for six hours a day, just noodling. Now yeah. I, I have these, you know, rudimentary little things that I do just to train my ear to hear the notes the way that. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, I'll go over Thumb and the Sleeve sets because we do have such an immense catalog of music now. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think, upwards of 200 songs at this point. So like, you know, going through and just like relearning things, just trying to figure out where my head was at when I was doing stuff like that, you know, that's so much to remember. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. So, and other bands, I mean, I've had a lot of side projects and so I've done. So yeah, that's most of my days just playing music and, or I'll hear something that sparks something and I'll, I'll write. So now that I have all Mm -hmm. the kind of my bearings on all the instruments, the that's bass or guitar, keyboards or drums, I'll, usually just walk in this giant, you know, music room every day and pick one to fuck around on until I, something cool happens, you know? So yeah, that's my, I would say I probably play music for at least two hours a day, every day at the most, yeah. like six hours, but that's, everybody can do that. When, once you start working on a demo or an idea, yeah, you know, you're like, Oh fuck. It's, you know, well, now I'm old and been in quarantine for a year. It's like, oh, no, it's 8.15 and I haven't had supper. You know, <laughs> I better have an oyster cracker uh-huh. before my blood sugar drops. You know, shit like that. Uh-huh. I like to think of you just having oyster crackers sitting around your house. Yeah, I do. I have- at the ready. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> you went to school for engineering, right? Mm-hmm. I went to school for audio engineering. Yeah. It wasn't 
yeah college necessarily it was more of a vocational school so it was like a, mm-hmm. it's like a six-month program but I stretched it out over two years so I could have a job yeah um and go part-time but yeah I think it was like a six or nine month program typically and um it wasn't a good school and I I went at a, a really strange time where it was like the beginnings of Pro Tools and Cubase mm. and Fruity Loops and all these things that yeah. are now antiquated as fuck. So it wasn't even useful to know. And uh-huh. But I will say I went with the intention of going to learn how to have my bearings in the studio mm-hmm. and to save myself time and money and like so yeah. I could record myself at home. And, you know... It's just an important skill to know because because playing live, miking things is such, you know, a uh, yeah. important part of what we do. I do use that knowledge a lot and I am glad I got it. And, you know, I think if you actually want to be an audio engineer, you should go to some sort of school and you should also, mm-hmm. but most importantly, get the practical real life experience. And you're going to have to do that for what I've seen from my friends who actually did pursue that is you're going to have to work for like 10 years in, in Mm -hmm. the field until you're like a real professional and you get paid a a good living wage, you know? But yeah, I was curious how you ended up choosing engineering over say performance or something, or if it was just something. I've never had any trouble performing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, I mean like, you know how people go to school for like music performance or whatever. I know you don't have a problem uh, issues with performing, but some people are like, go to school for like music performance. You know what I mean? Honestly, I was in a cigar club with this guy. I was living in Des Moines. I was working at Taco John's and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really know what to do. I'd gotten sober. That was my main thing was just not being an alcoholic. And Mm -hmm. I did that for about two years and I was working at Taco John's and Every Wednesday, I think, you know, me and my friend Paul would go have tacos and cigars at this place called Tasty Tacos. Uh, and this really puffy, like fried taco, Midwestern garbage. It's not real. Oh, taco. yeah. Like funnel, funnel yeah. cake or whatever. Yeah. And then <laughs> we would smoke cigars and uh, talk. And he's like, I'm going to go down to the school, you know, for audio engineering. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, because I had been working on one of those boss hard disk recorders trying to figure it out. Mm, yeah a while and i just couldn't get my fucking head around what this fucking shit and he's like yeah we need another roommate to you what do you want to do with your shit and i was like i don't know i haven't really thought about going to school or anything i just got my gd and i was like well yeah i mean i could probably do that i could probably go there do that too be a roommate Mm -hmm. So I did. It was really that easy. <laughs> I mean, you're from the middle. Very practical. You know how it is. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, an out. Complete. I'll take right, it. Right, 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 right. Like, yes. Yeah. I feel like the taco, the uh, taco John's aspect of that really just like the whole flow of that makes a lot of sense in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Taco John's is a yeah. really nice place to work. I I've heard good things. I've had friends who work there. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was a great yeah. place to work. <laughs> so. So as far as gear, so I know, obviously, you've talked about this a lot on your podcast, and you did a rig run, run rundown, all this stuff. You started, you know, your your gear journey sort of started with your grandpa, right? He he was a luthier? Yeah, he was a luthier. He wasn't like a professional luthier, but he was like, yeah. Uh, yeah, he did build some guitars, 
and did some guitar work. He was also like a high end guitar dealer. Um, but it was mm-hmm. like a hobby. He was a, he was a, a engineer for a construction company and a foreman. And he kind of just mm-hmm. bought it when he was had the money, bought a shit ton of really expensive, nice guitars and mm-hmm. would take me to guitar shows. And I would get to hang out with him at his booth and I'd see all the gears and stuff. Yeah, he uh, he would build some stuff too. But I was just all guitars all the time, you know, growing up. And so I'm just, I've always been enamored with them. They always hold a special power now. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have, you have two custom guitars that are sort of your main guitars right now. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fancy and Teddy the Telecaster. And Teddy's named after my grandpa, Ted. And I got his initials on the fretboard as a tribute to him. And then Fancy uh, is my Honestly, well, the guy was like, I want to make you a custom guitar. And it just made me feel like that song Fancy by Reba McIntyre, where it was mm-hmm. like, I might have been mm-hmm. born just playing white trash, but now I have a custom SG. So I really wanted to put Fancy across the headstock. But it's uh, early, late 60s, early 70s, back when SGs were still called Les Paul Customs. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I just saw my uncle actually had one with the Bigsby. And it had like a natural finish. And I just thought it was the meanest looking thing I've ever seen in my life. And I loved the way it felt. And so when he asked me what guitar I wanted, I was like, I would like this one. <laughs> and uh, that's what he built me. And he built it so good that he got a cease and desist from Gibson. So that was nice. No way. I didn't hear, I didn't catch mm-hmm. that. Oh, my God. I mean, hopefully it'll sell someday on eBay for like $100,000. But he has like a totally. letter on his wall that's a picture of me crowd surfing with that SG and it's like <laughs> please and dismiss. it looks too good but it's like yeah, too it's good anyway Gibson like it's just gonna sell out SGs like people can't afford to get custom guitars built but they're gonna buy SGs you're stupid yeah don't be an idiot Gibson so you had a couple of other I can it's a little bit pixelated but I see a bass back there with like a maple neck and maybe is that the, is that your telly or is that it? That's your telly, right? Yeah. No, no. The, well, yeah. This is my telly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And um, I have a broad bass from Yamaha. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Very nice. Oh yeah, and then your other Yamaha there too. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the then I just Rev- this new Revstar. Yep. Revstar. Yeah. Cool. This is my favorite one they've ever sent me. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've been really. Uh, they've you've had a lot of cool social media stuff on their page i saw maybe even yeah. was it today or yesterday yeah and then i Very have cool. evt 15 behind that oh you know i was gonna actually that was one of my follow-up questions uh related to pv uh mm-hmm. and your love for pv was whether you also that also moved into the realm of guitars or if it's just for amps mm-hmm. well spe- yeah specifically i mean when they still made stuff in the u.s you know yeah anything after that yeah. it's just trash i have no interest yeah. in you know any kind of endorsement or thing now because they just make cheap rebranded Chinese garbage. But back when they still made shit in the USA, they made good shit, real good shit. And, uh, you know, now, unfortunately, everyone's wise and they're starting to buy the shit up and use it for evil. But I used it for good. But yes, I have a T-15 and I also have a Predator. And the mother were just giving the Predator away, like a hundred bucks. And I was like, this is a United States made maple neck fucking American fucking beast. And it's a great guitar. Yeah. It's got just enough splat. I like a little splat. 
you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's just a good it's a good fucking guitar it's very comfortable to play and i love it some it's like anything guitars yeah. have good days and bad days and some models you'll be like wow i've played other predators i'm like what is this trash you know but <laughs> yeah it just depends i like the t15 though because it has the um it's a student model yeah and then- those are the short scale buddies right short scale yes yeah mm-hmm. so the t-series yeah. is like super light I love the T-Series, yeah. Pickups too, which would be a lot well, of fun if I had, um, you know, a noisier band to play in. I would make good use of them for sure. Yeah. I, I've recently been really psyched about the idea of getting a PV guitar, but I want to get one that's like not too, too heavy because some of them are kind of heavy. Yeah, check out the um, Predator. Predator is yeah. great. When I worked at a guitar shop, we would sell, we sold some of those PV, we sold the PV Predator and like whatever the... Uh, yeah, like that kind of series. And then also, um, I remember when I worked there, it was the first time that I had seen a PV Butcher come in. Have you ever seen oh. a PV Butcher? Mm, let me see. I like, I love PV and I'm into PVs, but like even today, people will send me shit. They have so many models. They, they have, have so many. So much. That's uh, honestly, probably what was their downfall was they were just trying to do too much mm-hmm. and they didn't focus on, oh, it's a head. Yeah, it's a head. But I saw it and I was just like, oh, my God, this looks amazing. <laughs> and I, I, mean, I, I don't even know. The 50s are bad fucking ass. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a big head. I'm more of a PV combo bitch. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Maze, uh, the Classic yeah. X. Um, those are kind of my, my favorite PVs. But, yeah, like, you know, they're just the best guitars, if you ask me. And the best amps and everything. They're just the best. I don't know. They're so good. Princess. And there's a whole culture around it now. And it's like, it's kind of nice because I've been rattling off about it for 10 years. So people are recognize me now as like one of the premier PV bitches, you know, (laughs) in that that (laughs) very specific niche, you know? Yes. I'm like, I'm like, you know, the PV girl. So that's great. Yeah, it's great. And it, it is. It's funny that now that it's become like a thing. But yeah, but I'm glad and that you're, uh, you're able to. Because tenders like... are trash. You know, <laughs> shitty ants. I, I I have some fenders that I do like. Uh, I'll be honest. Is but it I do think Because the basement's the only amp they ever made that sound good. If you have... I do play a basement. That is my main like. I told you. Rock and roll amp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I have a champ that like was my dad. Those that my, are my only used to be my dad's. Favorites, but let me tell you something. See? You can't buy a champ yes. now for less than like $700. No. But I'll tell you what you right. can buy. You can buy a gorilla. And it's the point. Yeah. Of and if you just yes. lightly rip the speaker of your gorilla, that's the ticket. Just Ooh, I didn't know. It'll fucking. That is smart. It'll rage. Yeah, so. not PV rage, but like you know, <laughs> no, it actually uh, sounds very no. nice. It has the problem is mm. well, it's a great problem because it's you know it's like there's lots of little things about this vintage garbage that people scares people away. But if you know what those things are, then you can get it. But the, the GG10 is the one I have, and I did my whole mm-hmm. album "Fuck Mary Kill" with it, uh, just to Dang. be a bitch, just to be a dumb bitch. Just like on this record, I just did. I didn't use any pedals, just to be a a bit. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of Do all it. the garbage yeah. about pedals. And I just was like watching so many documentaries and videos and things over the last year and mm-hmm. I was on stage and there'd be no fucking pedals. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I'm like this fucking shit with these jackasses and these fucking pedals. I don't have a problem with pedals. I love pedals. I have you know ones yeah. that I like to use, but I just wanted to hear my hands. I just wanted people to hear my hands on this record, and yeah. I think that's what makes me love Richie Blackmore. I think that's what makes me love mm. Tony Iommi's playing, and or someone mm-hmm. like Eddie Van Halen. You know what I mean? Like where you can really hear the natural vibratos and the the you know right. tension in your fingers you know i think that's just what keeps yeah music human i i'm gonna start a revolution called keep music human you know Ooh, I like it. <laughs> I, yeah 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 um so i want to scoot out of gear for a sec well i guess it's sort of still about gear it's always going to be about gear but like I'm curious a little bit more about your experience around gender and identities and gear. So how does like gender perhaps play into this? I don't have any trouble saying what the fuck does that mean? You know? Yeah. So even if those incidences have, have come up and certainly yeah. they have a lot, if I'm being ignored or if someone's talking down to me, I don't have any trouble being like, did you learn all that in your mom's fucking basement while you were fucking playing Green Day songs, you little jackass? Guess what? I'm getting, played, <laughs> I'm getting fucking paid this tonight to play for fucking 500 people. So why don't you go fuck yourself and go learn another train song when you want to speak to me like that? You know what I mean? I am not trying to say uh-huh. that. Yeah. Or like, you know, I can kind of gauge who the cool person in a guitar store is just when I walk in. Even a guitar store, you know who the cool fucking dude is that you actually want to talk to. Like, he's the older dude with the fuck. It kind of looks like he, like, plays in a Steely Dan cover band on the weekends and some shit. Like, he's I cool certainly guy. hope so. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. guy you want to talk to. Like, fuck the little jackass in his little fucking Vegas shirt, you know, who's like. You know, but my my experience is again, I know a lot about what I want. And and I try yeah. like I said, when you come in like a ball of energy and thunder and you're like, hey man, what is this? How is this? What the fuck that? Hey, what what's the best prize you don't like? Whoa, 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 what's that in the back? You know what I mean? Like, I don't have time to be a jackass. No, I don't want that shit. That's crap. You know, like <laughs> So it's like hard for people to like even yeah. when now when I hear about other women that should happen into them. I get mm-hmm. really upset. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause it's like, if you are, if, if you've had the, the time to like develop that confidence around what, knowing what you want, it is a different thing. Yeah. And I think again, too, it's like with old dudes, I've always kind of, I want to say like given them a pass, but I've been a little more lenient because I know they're old dudes and I, I, I kind of always had an affinity for them because I grew up around these old dudes. Like yeah, Paul, do it. Go take big guitar shows and shit, and guitar shows and shit. Like I was always around these old dudes. So like, if they say something yeah. dumb, I'm just like, no, you know. Like it's not to say that I don't say anything, but I'm definitely not like this fucking. It's not going to ruin my day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, but most of the time, like people like that is just like the young dudes who just don't think about that shit because they weren't raised around that shit. But you have an opportunity. You know, yeah. that's an opportunity to just say to them, like, do you hear what just came out of your mouth? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, think about what you just said and maybe try to rephrase it. I'm going to give you another chance. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. shit like that. you can say that kind of shit. And if they don't want to yeah. say it, then why don't you go get your manager? Let me ask him. Let me ask him what uh-huh. he about that. I'm just going to put this cash here and I'm going to ask you to rephrase that question. You know what I mean? Like people just, I don't know. I also think I intimidate people a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you had done an episode a 
I don't know, it was a couple months ago where you called guitar centers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah and so what was the... <laughs> I was curious. Yeah. Especially, you know, because I do sound like a lady on the phone, you know? So what what was the impetus for that? I was just like... Like, I was just like, I heard about all this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've, I've seen my friends have to go through it. I wanted to see how mm-hmm. they would do. And I wanted to put them under the gun in a real life scenario and yeah. a way that I felt would be really effective. And then I wanted to mm-hmm. let them know how they did. That was really important to me and let them know like, Hey, like this is what you did and this is what you need to be mindful of it. Not in like a corporate bullshit mm-hmm. way, like not in like a social media, like cancel way. Like, I'm just going to tell you right, right now, dude, like that was a little much. You know what I mean? And like I said, I have no, yeah. can listen to that podcast. I have no trouble telling these people, like, maybe tone that shit down or, you know, maybe think about this before you say that, you know, but for the most part, they were all yeah. really great. I feel like for the most part, they didn't do too badly. I thought I, it seemed like not bad, but it made me think of this thing. Like, what if we just had like this whole like army of folks that it was almost like Department of Health going in and checking restaurants, but it was like for... I mean, with heart shops, <laughs> if you were the problem is, you know, organization, but you could, you could have a very, yeah. like a Yelp for that shit. You know what I mean? I mean, that's what Yelp. That would be kind of sick. You just I mean, I guess it is. Yelp. That is what Yelp yeah. is. But I mean, you just, I'm thinking more targeted or like yeah. there was like a, you know, like a checklist. Like, a like you go in this bureau of, yes, you know, more like a sticker you could give them to put on their door. That yeah. These people aren't jackasses. Yeah, I'd had I'd actually had a conversation with Julie about that, the idea of that kind of thing at one point. I think that could be rad. I hadn't thought about the like actually going in and like doing the like surprise visit kind of thing, <laughs> secret check ins. But yeah, well, if you uh, could find a rich patron who would, uh, you know, who would pay for you to go around to guitar stores and just, mm-hmm. you know, be a secret shopper and then let them know mm-hmm. where they, what their strengths were and then, mm-hmm. you know, come back and say I'll be back in a couple months and we'll try again and we'll see if you get your little sticker you know what I mean and that shit should mean something yeah but I think that you know here's the thing is like I think they're trying I think people are trying yeah Mm -hmm. and I think we can thank Bobby for that and we can thank people like Julie for that I think the people are trying yeah and um totally and that's good you know um, mm-hmm. you can't be scared to have conversations with people. And I think that you, you affect more change when you actually get in there and you have a conversation with them and you're not scared to call them out to their face. But here's the thing. They're at their fucking job. Yep. So it's not like, right. you know, any shit's going to get buck wild. You know what I mean? Customers always yep. like asshole and I'm your fucking customer today, you know? And it's so competitive, the the world of totally. gear. And it's so competitive that it's like, you don't, yeah. you don't have... This store does not have the fucking ability to just, you know, fuck customers off. Because I can just go on Reverb, I can right. go on eBay, I can just go on Sweetwater, Musician's Friend. Like, there's all these websites I go yeah. to. But you want to keep your lights on, motherfucker? Try again, you know? It, the number of people who I've had this conversation with, like, who folks are like, yeah, I just don't go to stores anymore because I've had too many bad experiences. You know what I mean? Like, that's to, real your, shame. to your point. Like, they should just yeah. say fuck off just mm-hmm. say it tell them tell them this is not fucking cool get somebody else over here that wants to make some money today mm-hmm. you work on commission asshole you know what i mean say mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. for real mm-hmm. yeah because they do yeah well and you never so- fucking know somebody actually might you might actually help somebody 
you know what I mean? Right, because if you don't say anything, they're just going to assume everything they're doing is fine, always, and they don't know that that's the reason why you didn't go there. That's yeah. always been my method with anything that has to do relative to my gender, whether that's a venue, whether that's anything. If that kind mm-hmm. of shit, whether it's physical harassment, if it's that machismo bullshit, if I'm at a guitar store, if I'm at a venue, I want to yeah. leave it better than I found it. And if I walk into that motherfucker and they pull that shit on me, I will throw a fucking bar stool through the window. Yeah. I will beat a motherfucker with my guitar. You know what I mean? Because I do know that a lot of women's instinct in those situations is to freeze. Well, I don't freeze, motherfucker. I do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not freeze. So I hope that th- whatever my reaction is, is going to save it for the next bitch that comes along after me and she's going to come in here and she's not going to have to deal with this bullshit because they're going to think twice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe this nice girl looks just like this other chick that I fucked with last week. She ain't, you know what I mean? And I don't give a fuck. I make your ass fucking money, bitch. I make you money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, and so you, have, I mean, in other spaces, you've talked a lot about the idea of like disrupting, disrupting the spaces just by being there and playing there. Right. Yeah. And I mean, so obviously that's in a, you know, in a music shop or whatever, but obviously that is something that you have talked about in venues as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so are there, so w- with the idea basically being that like, you know, playing in those spaces that like might feel like they're not as welcoming can be a way to sort of like break down barriers or whatever, however you want to put that. I know right? it does. I know it does. Cause I yeah. it happened. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm, I guess I'm wondering if there are particular, if there's like a line, like if there's something about a venue and you're like, no, I will not play there. Money. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. That's about it. Money. Yeah. But otherwise you'd play like anywhere. For sure. With with that yeah. kind of intent or like spirit, I guess. Fuck yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give a fuck. You know? Yeah. As long as I'm safe, as long as my girls are safe, you know. Right. As long as I'm not putting myself or my fans or my girls in danger, I don't give a fuck. Give me my money. Yeah. And I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna give you the exact same show that I gave the motherfuckers that at the, you know, DIY queer collective space, I'm going to give that same show to a chicken restaurant in the middle of Dallas full of families who Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. I'll give everybody mm-hmm. the same fucking show and I'm going to walk out with my money. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh-huh. you can either be a part of the experience and behave like an involved human vein, or you could be an asshole. And guess what? There's people that will handle you. They will pick you up yeah. and they will remove you from this club so that I can continue to do my show if you want to make right. a thing. And I have stopped shows and I've said to people, do you want to make this situation about you? You know what? Now everybody's looking at you, motherfucker. Do you think they paid $10 to come in here and see you be an asshole? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think they came to see me do my job, you know? So, yeah. And I do. I think you get further with that than you do just playing for a bunch of people that feel the same way you do. I think... When you walk yeah. through those spaces. And I, and I know for a fact I've made it easier for queer people to tour in the South. I know that. When we started, there was none, you know. And hopefully I've inspired people to get on the fucking road and to do it. Because it's like, yeah, you're going to play some places where people act fucking weird. But the best thing about if you're good at what you do and you love what you do and, you know, you can enact change. You keep going back and the next thing you know, you know, 
you can see the change. You can see the change in the scene. You can see the change for these people. And they're, and they're fucking, and it's a point of pride. There's three people in that bar who were like, I never imagined that this would happen in the town I live in. And I'm so grateful to you because mm. I never get, people mm-hmm. don't want to come here. People are scared to come here. And we never get shit like this, you know, and my yeah. band never has anywhere to play. And we got to open for you. And I've seen it fucking happen a million times. And, you know, that's yeah. why when these little scrappy ass queer kids get in my fucking face about some shit, I just say to them, do you like touring in the South? Yeah. You have fun doing that? Oh, sure. Well, you're welcome. Because me and my dikey ass <laughs> tattooed friends got in a fucking Baptist church van about 12 years ago when no one else was. And we played in these fucking towns and we played in these fucking clubs and we turn these babies out and the next thing you know they got seen so you're welcome yeah you know that's why i say that we're the longest running all-female queer southern rock band of all time because we are <laughs> that's yeah. it yes you know? yeah there's mm-hmm. um can you talk a little bit about your uh approach to performance and how that connects to gender well i've had to i had to become more aware of it you know because mm-hmm. it's just a side effect you know of like performing that I am a woman and to some people I'm very attractive to other people I'm ugly handsome you know that's fine whatever but um you know on a good night when the hair's fluffed you know and the high kids are just right I look pretty good and I never really thought about it you know Mm -hmm. but then and I never really thought about how I carried myself or how I had the other girls they carried themselves on stage so then I realized Mm -hmm. that that was important and that's something that I had to think mm-hmm. about, like how I choose to position myself on stage. You know, I don't get down on my knees on stage anymore. I used to do that a lot when I yeah. was younger. I don't do it anymore. If I do do it, it's a sign of respect for one of my bandmates. Like, uh, say, Whiskers, uh, I'll get down in front of her sometimes if she's playing something cool on the bass, just to kind of give her, like, it's mm-hmm. just a respect thing for me, her. Uh, but I don't do it on stage willy-nilly anymore. I always try to climb the highest point. I can't. Yeah. Uh, I get up on the scaffolding. I'll get up on the bar. I'll get. I like to climb, and I because I want. Yeah. I don't want women to just always be perceived. Like, I don't like that rock and roll presence for women has been kind of boiled down to like, let me just roll around on the ground in a baby doll dress and show my giant. Sh- and you know, I just think we've moved past that. I, I think women mm-hmm. now can. What I think we've shown, we can show up, and you can fucking be dressed like ZZ Top in a fucking, you know, pair of good boots and a fucking, you know, look your fucking shit, look like the shit and just play the fucking shit, you know, hard, you know. And and again, it's always been that when I go in places, you know, people have assumptions about us. I have to break those assumptions. And I know that I've opened the doors for a lot of young girls and people that are torn mm-hmm. now to, to come in those spaces and not have to deal with that bullshit because I did. Yeah. So that's good. Relentlessly yeah. put myself in that position. But yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely uh, being a woman is powerful. And I'm not a woman who doesn't, I'm not like a, I, I think gender is still important. So, and that's not necessarily trendy, but I, I think that it's important to realize that being a woman is powerful. And also that there were women that opened the doors by proxy to non-binary people, to trans people, to all kinds of different people because of what they did in the struggle and the fight. And I honor that. I honor women in that struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think that our bodies are powerful and we are magical. Most of us are witches. So, yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. do. I think it is. And I, and I don't, uh, 
you know, I don't think that what we do is a novelty anymore. No. Yeah. I feel like sometimes that experience does still happen. Like there are there are spaces where the novel like you get there's a no, the the vibe of being perceived as a novelty is still there, but that doesn't make it real. You know well, what I mean? Well, at least own that shit. You know, if you're going to be in the Iron yeah. Maidens, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're in the fucking yeah. Iron Maidens. That's a novelty. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's a fucking dope novelty. Like, I couldn't play half the shit those bitches fucking play, and that's badass. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If you're going to be a fucking novelty, own the fucking novelty, baby. And they do it. They do it good. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and I don't yes. think, like, there's anything wrong with, you know, that shit. If people want to do that shit, do that shit. Whatever makes you feel good. Yeah. If that's what turns you on, that's what turns you on. But for me, for my cause, for my work, I just haven't ever understood why my expectations are different, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. for me. But, you know, if you want to be rolling around in a baby doll dress, showing off your janji and your cooch cooch, you know, your little twigs and berries popping out, do your thing, girl. That's not my business. It's not my business. I I do take my tits out, but that's only at festivals where men are walking around shirtless. And that's Mm -hmm. insane. If they get to walk around shirtless, I get to walk around shirtless. And they're not, that's not making themselves sexual object. And this is not me making myself a sexual object. Right. So that's when I take my shirt off. I don't do it at clubs, generally speaking, or venues. But if Mm -hmm. I'm out at a festival, there's a bunch of people walking around with their shirt off. I'm going to do it too. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate that. The framing of that, I guess, like where you're choosing to do it or not do it. And like the purpose of that makes a lot of sense. I think there's a very thin line. Thelman Sleaze is yeah. a very fucking thin line for a very fucking long time. And we yeah. have had to have people think that everything we do is just wow, but it's not. There's mm-hmm. conversations that happen in reference to everything, yeah. whether it's been our artwork or our everything. And sometimes we have had missteps, but it's all well good intentioned and um, it's all for the cause. Right. Yeah. It's in, it seems like intentional, like you're thinking mm-hmm. about it. It's not just like random whatever oh we're gonna be wild and do this wild thing it's like you thought about it first very much very much Uh, yeah totally so you you've talked a little bit about the financial end of being a touring musician do you feel like there's a way that gender ties in with that no no I don't think so at all I think okay some people would have you believe that we have been more successful as a band uh because we are women and then people do yeah. still find that, you know, oh, if I put this all female band mm. Saturday, mm-hmm. I put them on the pack. Hey, that's your business. But uh, yeah. just be careful. Be careful about how you do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But definitely, mm-hmm. I mean, it don't hurt. It certainly don't hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's not my intention. That's not my MO. But I'm not going to sit here and fucking say, oh, my band hasn't gotten more attention because we are all female band. It's mm-hmm. a lot of fucking work, jackass. Yeah. You think it's you think it's easy to find women the the caliber of musicianship and crazy that I have to find to fucking be in this band that get paid no fucking money, but their physical bodies through the fucking ringer, mentally, emotionally. That shit is fucking hard. Okay? Yeah. So yeah, if we get more attention for it, good asshole because it's fucking hard it's hard to keep a band together for 12 years it's hard to continue to follow your dream into your fucking late 30s and it's fucking hard to fucking work your fucking ass off for little or no exposure to none as far as the industry goes in my case yeah no yeah 
there, there's two things to that, right? So like that goes back both to the the novelty thing, right? Where uh-huh. it's like if people are perceiving you as a novelty, they might seek you out based on gender. But but also if you have to work extra hard as a result of not being taken seriously in the first place, like I guess there's that there, it's like the juxtaposition of those two things of like yeah, both being so. like the novelty and not taken seriously yeah. and having to work okay. extra hard and all that. Yeah, it's yeah. awful. <laughs> I think that's more what I was thinking about. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So both. Of uh, okay, so so you obviously have a podcast as mm-hmm. well. What is your? And if folks have not checked out your podcast, Queen of Shit Mountain, they obviously should do that immediately. And because you in your the first like kind of yeah yeah obviously people here might like podcasts. I don't know. The first kind of season of yours is you kind of like talking about your general experiences, and then the second season, as you said, which is a little, I think a little bit longer at this point, is more interview based, right? Mm-hmm. But so for the interviews that you do, what is what is your process look like or what is your what is the prep look like for that for you, for folks who might be interested? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> I, I want to know how other people like. Generally speaking, it's like just, well, most of them are my friends or acquaintances. Yeah. In the industry yeah. who I admire. But I, I have like a set criteria for who I like to interview. I like to interview mm-hmm. people I perceive as uncompromising mm-hmm. in the industry. I think that rattle the cage and who could play to the fucking novelty of being women, you know, but don't choose to just focus on the artistry and, you know, Mm -hmm. the cause. I basically just want to give people a blueprint, you know, no matter what genre you're in, whether it's country or indie rock or whatever you're trying to do, how do you do it in a way that is true to whatever your vision is, but also allows you to be impactful you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and successful. And so I think a lot of people look to me as being very successful. And, and even though I don't necessarily perceive myself as very successful based on what the industry standards are for success, you know, but they do. And that made me feel like yeah. shit mountain, but yeah. how do other women define their success and how can you achieve that success? And that's what I try to get to in the interviews. And that's kind of mm-hmm. the criteria that I try to Take someone like Brittany Howard, Tanya Tucker, mm-hmm. Margot Price, all these women, if you listen to the interviews, it's real similar brains, you know what I mean? Real similar yeah. work ethics. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the general consensus. If you listen to all the interviews is they make it about the work first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And yep. that's what speaks for them. And that's what speaks for me. And, you know, it's. I'm really proud for me. It's an archive and it's hopefully I know a lot of people look to me and they have questions and they would want to ask me questions about what I do and how I do what I do. And I couldn't Mm -hmm. sit there and answer everybody. So I just decided to make a podcast where you could, whatever you're trying to do, if you really want to know what kind of head, what kind of attitude, what kind of work ethic you have to have, what kind of choices you need to make, the kind of people you need to surround yourself with, you can listen to that and you will know. No matter which and how to define success. Some bitches got mm-hmm. nine Grammys. Other bitches have got, you know, seven inches that sell for a hundred dollars on eBay. To me, those bitches are right. same same amount of success, if you ask me, mm-hmm. what they're trying to do, you know? And it, you know, just being interviewed all the time and it just being terrible, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was like, I want to interview artists the way that I wish I could get interviewed, where people actually listen yeah. to my music beforehand, where they actually watch my videos, where they actually listen to other interviews, you know, instead of just rattling off a bunch of questions. 
So that's what I tried to do. Totally. Yeah. So we're getting a bit towards the end of our interview, unfortunately, but I do have a couple more questions. One of them is I would, it would, I feel like I'd be not doing my job on this podcast if I did not ask you about your experience on burger records or with burger records. Um, because I, before the whole thing blew up about them, like I was familiar with some bands and I had like heard of them, but didn't really, I didn't know anything about them as a whole really. Mm -hmm. So if you have, I I think folks might appreciate to hear your perspective on that. Well, my first run in with burger was I was dating this chick who was in a burger band about Mm -hmm. 10 years ago and Mm -hmm. she was in a pretty good burger band and I went to the shows and I was in some of the cities we were playing at dive bars biker bars shitholes yeah like with you know rocker old rock bands and shit like we weren't even remotely part of that scene and i went to her one of her shows and all this band sounded like baby music and i was like <laughs> i was like i asked her i was like because you know we were like it was totally uptown girl situation and i was like mm-hmm. how come like all these bands sound like baby music like they did it you know like it sounds like teletubbies trying to sound like the ramones i don't get it (laughs) and he was like i don't know it is weird i was like it's weird right and then we started touring and no labels wanted to do anything with us nobody wanted to fuck with us so wiener records reached out to us which is a subsidiary of burger and they were just starting out and i do believe Mm -hmm. that we were the first official wiener records release Mm-hmm. And as lesbians, I thought, would fucking that be hilarious? <laughs> we got on stage every night, and I was like, "Hey, uh, mm-hmm. you know, pick up our new cassette, Heart Like a Fist, available now on Wiener Records." <laughs> like that's hilarious. <laughs> so we ended up doing a couple releases with Wiener, and uh, <laughs> still funny. And uh, they sold pretty well. So uh-huh. eventually, Burger couldn't really ignore us anymore, even though we weren't making baby music for. For adults pedophile music and uh they uh-huh. kind of had to um pay attention to us because we uh-huh. were you know promoting their fucking label and with people getting attention so they started putting us on south by shit and then yeah we we put out an album and they did the cassette release and it all went fine i mean we were always kind of people would question whether or not we were why we were on a burger they did not understand that because we don't sound like a burger band. We don't carry ourselves like a burger band. We give a fuck about how we sound. No, we're not Mm -hmm. a surf band. And I was just kind of like, for me, it was just about cassette culture, which I think is important. So for me, and just because, you know, now it's like there wasn't anything that was really promoting rock and roll. So to be a part of that club was important. Mm -hmm. You know, for legitimacy purposes, it wasn't a bad thing. And um, yep. there was a lot of freedom on that situation. We were not signed to Burger. We were not exclusive to Burger. Basically, it was a cost per goods kind of situation yeah. where they made a set amount of cassettes, you know, and they sold them to us for at cost and we sold them. Yep. They kept 50 for their store and we took the rest, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then... You know, we did. We actually have a lot of burger releases. We did one with Craig Brown. We did one with, they released our last album on cassette. And yeah, it was Mm -hmm. fine. I mean, I always thought those generally that scene was creepy to begin with. You know what I mean? Uh But like I said, I 
we're not the kind of band that gets fucked with because we're very obviously angry. I mean, you put up enough photos of yourself beating a man with a guitar. That kind of shit's not going to happen around <laughs> us. You know, right. like, we were always, we were always partitioned to the side stage. We were always partitioned to like the, the shit that was not wacky or backstage yeah. coup de tra coup de tra with a bunch of fucking wankers you know and i don't have any time yeah. for bullshit i don't generally hang out yeah. i don't drink and do drugs so I, i'm here for the money i'm here to entertain it put on the show and but mm-hmm. then it all went down and i'm not surprised at all you know what i mean mm-hmm. like these we're talking about men into their 30s that are making essentially music that is legitimately pedophile music it sounds like pedophile music and i don't i never liked it <laughs> You know, it's uh-huh. like when you got these dudes with their fucking beer bellies hanging over their tramp, you know, and they got their dumbass fucking, you know, shit on and they're like, doop, 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 doop. it's like they're not trying to attract other fucking dudes with beer bellies. I can tell you that now. Uh huh. So it was not surprised. And, mm-hmm. and that really pissed me off that I wasn't surprised. And maybe I should have, you know, tried to be more hyper aware in those settings. But, you know, it is a lot going on. I know people who were closer. That's why I did a podcast on my channel about that whole shit that went down. And yeah. I talked to a, a couple of the women who were down to talk. Cause I'd reached out to a lot of them. A lot of them were not down to talk. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are still down with, you know, Lee and Sean, they're still backing them. I'm surprised to find out still giving them access to the scene, which is hilarious after all this fallout, like how much they, we must protect the sword, you know, like it's such <laughs> trash. It's like, if we yeah. can't molest teenage girls at our show, what's the point of rock and roll? You know, but that being said, it ended up working out in some ways because my goal after that was immediately like action. Like, what can we do mm-hmm. to fucking ensure that like people know that like the, the bands that I are my friends that fucked with me and I fuck with them had no idea yeah. this was going on and we want to plant the seed for this never to happen again you know yeah so we ended up making a comp called hands off with me alex white and a gentleman who and honestly last two years maybe i stopped fucking with burger records in general just because they were unprofessional like they Mm -hmm. sent me a box and it said lj on it and i was just like you're you have one job dog like (laughs) and like they were like again still acting like we're one of the best band that she has ever had on your label and also, like, every time we play your shit, it's packed. And you still act, like, weird about, like, putting us on shit in L.A. Or posting shit about yeah. when we're in L.A. It could really help us out, you know? Right, right. Well, I was just finally, I was already done. When I was already switched to using this guy at Tapehead City, um, who's just mm-hmm. a nice guy. His name's Charles. He's friends with a lot of people I know who are cool and in the scene. And he just loves tapes and he's eccentric because you got to be fucking eccentric to be a grown man and think you're going to make yep. money off of selling cassettes. But he seems genuinely nice. I mean, he could be a creep. That's what I told him. I was like, look, you could be a fucking creep. You know what I mean? Anybody could be a fucking creep. Yeah. But as far as yeah. I know, he's a very nice man and he likes to put out tapes and he was down. I was like, let's make a comp and let's sell the fuck out of it and then give the money to an organization that helps young girls be empowered and have the skills because jokes on you asshole. Like, and I, I interviewed soccer mommy on my podcast very soon after that. And I was very much Mm -hmm. like, okay, it's not, 
it's not us. It's not the rock camps. It's like, like that shit is working. Cause that's really what hurt me when that show came down. I was like, what yeah. is all the shit we've been doing for the last, you know, 20 fucking years. And this yeah. is what the outcome is like bullshit. Mm-hmm. But it is working when you interview someone like soccer mommy and snail mail and like broads like that. And they're just like, we don't have any problems with that. We go in, we do our job, we work, we get our shit. Nobody talks back to us. We handle it. And you're like, okay, sis. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's exactly what I want to hear. Totally. So I want more little girls yeah. like that. So we raised like, I think almost four grand. And uh, we gave that to a, a organization in Chicago called Girls Inc. And the best thing that came out of it for me was I got quoted in Rolling Stone saying, fuck the boys clubs. They don't stand. This will not stand anymore. You know? Yeah. I didn't want to make myself the poster girl because I'm not flawed. I'm flawed. I have flaws. I've made mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. But when there's a, when there is a history and a very clear, you know, habit that needs to be fixed, a culture, a cesspool, if you will. Yes, let's mm-hmm. let's do it. I'm not all for like canceling people just because of an incident, but when there's an obvious pattern yep. and there's an obvious history, let's fucking, you know, and, and it isn't about me. It's about yeah. literally about saying, fuck this bullshit. If you think this shit will stand, it will not stand. And if you think there's nowhere else that you can go to make a tape, look at these tapes. And Tapehead City is much more professional. He, may, mm-hmm. he puts so much more care and attention into what he does. So don't you worry. There's still places. There's still people who are going to help you. If you're DIY, we need cassette culture. We need it. Yeah. And it did not start and end with Burger. And it will live forever. And that was what was important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I was just, you know, I feel like it's good for folks to hear that that story yeah. and, and where kind of everything went with it. And that it kind of like that there's been some positive action, even though there's weird shit but like you know no the black lips are still going uh, on tour yeah. the growlers are still going yeah. on tour they're all yeah. still going on tour yeah. you make a conscious right. decision to support those bands or not yeah you know yeah. it's fine you know it, it's the thing is it's like you know we all we all can do better and uh we mm-hmm. just made a real clear statement and they're gonna be scared now and that's what's important mm-hmm. you're scared there now, you go. fucker you know <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, if you were speaking to folks in the industry, so whether it's like in gear spaces, venue owners, whatever in studios, like whatever it is about how they could make change to make things better, what would you tell them if they were, if they asked you, if they came to you asking? You know, I would just try to say to everyone to just look at your bills. That's what I'm going to be doing from now on. That mean I, I had to think about that a lot this year. Like, what can I do yeah. as someone with no money or real influence that isn't just posting shit on Instagram and giving money to Venmo's? I don't even know where the fuck that shit's going. What can I actually yeah. do to enact change? And I thought about it and I was like, well, how come there's no black people on this bill? How come mm-hmm. there's no trans people on this bill? Y'all don't know any people of color? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. how come there's these bands are all white people? Mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. I wish I would have yeah. said that at Burger Rama. I wish I would have said that at, you know, a lot of other things that I've been put on, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold people to that standard because there mm-hmm. are certainly mm-hmm. those are out there and they just need to try harder, yeah. you know, and you will be better for it. I think, I think that's the most important thing. Like 
you will have a much more enriched and fulfilled life if you seek out things that don't necessarily automatically make you comfortable, you know. But I think overall, you know, if I'm in a venue or if I'm in a studio or if I'm in a space that's, you know, they're doing something right. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably on the right track. If they've got me in there, I wouldn't, you know. But yeah, I think we all just need to look at bills. And, you know, that goes to the ticket holders as well. You know, yeah. if you live in a town where they're having shows and, you know, you know that your friends aren't getting booked or shit, tell the tell the promoters, have the conversations. Don't be scared to have conversations with people and say, why aren't you booking my friend's band? Why aren't you? I want to I want to have a venue. I want to have a promoter. I want to go shows. But you need to allocate this space for more than just, you know, and sh- show me the fucking money, you know, because money. Yep. We live in a very capitalist society. I think this year's taught us that. That's what really matters yeah. to people, right? We'll, we'll all die for the fucking, you know, for the great deficit. You know what I mean? Like, it's bullshit. Yeah. So yeah, that's what matters. And um, yeah, I think we just need to do a better job, all of us. That's what I'm going to try to do anyways this year. And so far, nice. so good. As far as the bills I've seen so far. I think that's awesome. It's gone without saying. I think people are doing that on their own. So that's good. That's great. I mean, I feel like that leads into our final question, which is just, I'm, you know, if, if folks have ways that uh, they can stay in contact with you or like things that are coming up for you, perhaps you have some uh, upcoming events that you would like to share, things that folks need to know about. Tell them, tell the people. Oh, no, well, probably like a month. it comes out next month. Uh, we'll be planning. We'll have, we'll have, we're on bands in town. We have a website called thumbandsleeves.com. And just spelled dumbandsleeves.com. You go there and uh, just really Instagram is the best way to keep it. Tr- but also you have to turn on your notifications because I'm buried in the algorithm because I say and do oh, things that don't necessarily please the, you know, the algorithm. I do post my butt when that happens because that helps. But, you know, butts, <laughs> boobs, those are the only things that will break the algorithm or I'm gay. Isn't that sad? but like i make art because i'm gay isn't that sad <laughs> going up that's why this one time i've made a post i was like going up was like really hard for me because like i sold drugs so like everyone was nice to me even though i was gay and like they knew if they like weren't nice to me they couldn't get any good drugs so it was like really hard for me <laughs> and all the girls the straight girls in high school wanted to make out with me it's really a bummer um <laughs> it's like no actually it was awesome but uh (laughs) and the internet went wild yeah they loved it yeah oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i would just say instagram is the best way to stay breast and we're gonna put out a new album uh soon a greatest well it's a new greatest hits live volume two (laughs) yes so because when you're a jackass you do things like that have two greatest hits live records because they it's just the hits keep coming though someday people will realize that they are the greatest hits they're just not yet so it's not just because y'all are slow doesn't mean i should you know (laughs) shouldn't label things like they're labeled you know but yeah yeah and uh yeah that should be good i think we have a new record we trapped but i don't know what when that'll come out probably in spring but we're gonna be on the road baby we're gonna be seeing you i'm half vaxxed i got half my five when is when is that when are you do you know when you're going out on the road yet yeah 
Yeah, we're going out in August. We're playing in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, Chicago, Milwaukee, Appleton, Wisconsin, Detroit. So I'm going to be hitting up the Midwest and the South, a whole bunch of spots. So if you're around and you want to see some rock and roll and yeah, I've got about, I think, 10 bandmates now. So you never know what you're going to get. I got a whole... I got a whole roster of girls that are like, I can't do that show, LG, but you can do all these. Oh, yeah. I could do all those, but I yeah. can do that one. I'm like, good, good. Uh, <laughs> hey, what's up? You want to play bass? Like, so now I've got like four bass players and three drummers. Perfect. And so many fucking bandmates. So you'll never know what you're going to get, but you will get me. And Obviously. I will play, yeah, I will need. play high class women. So. <laughs> That's all people no. I <laughs> really? I mean that's it's an important information for folks. Cool. Yes. Uh and you'll have to let me know when you come to the East Coast. Oh yeah, Baltimore. Well we yeah. actually no, we're playing in DC with Bath Fangs at Slash Run on um in October. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So yeah, so this is really awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, thanks for doing the pod swap with me or the swap cast. Of course. Swap cast. <laughs> Yeah, and thank you to uh, anytime. Thank you to Julie Robbins for everything that she does and supporting both of Thanks, our podcasts. Julie. Uh, yes. Letting us giving us space to disrupt. Yes. And uh, you know, helping us make some I think both very cool things. So Totally. She's an angel. It's it's so true. It's true. LG is such a blast, like for real. There's just so many nuggets in there. <laughs> it was real good. Uh, I'll have her info in the show notes. If you want to grab some Thelma and the Sleaze music or merch or whatever, check out Queen of Shit Mountain Podcast. You can do all of those things via the show notes. Check them out. And if you have d- ideas about, you know, or would be interested in talking more about uh, the concept of a Department of Representation or Music Store Discrimination Yelp or awards or something, I don't know. I don't know what to call it, but you get the idea. Let me know and we can talk with other folks to see about how we'd make that happen because, I, you know, something to think about. So today I want to just share a quick follow-up from the last episode's conversation about intentional parenting as a preventative measure to shift culture. So just it's kind of around a little bit of a story. So one day last week as I was driving my son to school and, you know, as a funny coincidence to this conversation, a song by The Gossip was on, <laughs> we, we didn't, you know, have a conversation about it or anything. We were just listening to my phone's shuffle and, you know, out of nowhere... Uh, my son, who is five, says, Mama, there aren't very many girls singing on my iPod, and I don't think that's fair. So for context, he has this tiny, tiny iPod shuffle. It's like the size of a quarter. I think that's an iPod. Maybe it's a nano. I don't know. That we put maybe like 100 songs on that he listens to when he's going to sleep. And, you know, he has some of his favorite songs on there, but had specifically requested that my partner add more hip hop to his playlist. My partner, who is a cis dude who grew up listening to a ton of like 80s and 90s rap and hip hop and was a DJ for 13 years. I was like, this is your realm. Uh, You can handle this. Like, that's awesome. So (laughs) despite my partner's efforts, his, you know, five year old appropriate hip hop list consisted of a large amount of cis men. Lots of like Biz Marquis, who is my kid's favorite and just, you know. It, it was 
it was it was a lot of men. Uh, and, you know, there are a handful of women included, like MC Light, Moni Love, uh, Bahamadia. But that was about it. And I think he thought he was trying. But I think for the most part, he might not have really noticed it. Because when you're in a privileged group, many folks feel like, you know, you include a handful of members of the oppressed group. You often feel like you've done your job with represent representation. And I catch myself doing this as well. Like, I, I totally get it. And, you know, my partner is the sweetest person alive and has dealt with me talking about this stuff for the past 14 years. So I think he's more aware than most. But it's, it's you know, when you get used to a certain representation as the norm, you don't always necessarily notice it. And, you know, to be fair, in some cases, it is legitimately hard to find music that is preschool appropriate. <laughs> but still. So the, the point of the story is not to, like, throw my partner under the bus, uh, but to show that it is possible to have a fruitful conversation with a child that will make them look for and recognize when things are unfair or in, unbalanced in ways that adults might not even notice or worry about. So, you know, think about the power of a child being able to recognize that and seek to correct it at such a young age. Like, it's really pretty huge. And, you know, what if every booking agent, DJ, music gear CEO learned that as a five-year-old? Like, how might things be different? And, you know, things could change. You know, he's got another number of years before he's out in the working world. But hopefully if he's, you know, having that early default to that, that thought process will be a benefit. We'll, we'll see. You know, we're not perfect parents. <laughs> like I said last episode, like my child is the pickiest eater I know, for example. Like there's lots of things that we could improve and we don't always do all of this right either. But, you know, simply sitting with them, reading a book or what, when watching a television show or whatever and asking them to notice the representation included and whether it's fair can go a long way. So if you enjoy this episode, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts so more folks can hear about it. And if you're in the industry, please share it with your colleagues so they can hear folks' perspectives and experiences and ideas to make it better. And you can follow along throughout the week on our Instagram and Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. 